turn to the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's part of the series we've been uh, looking at for the past couple of months. And if you don't have a Bible, there'll be the scripture references to look up on the screen so that you can uh, follow there as well. Uh, we are now partway through chapter 3. And having looked last week at uh, Jesus appointing he, the 12 apostles to stand with him in all that was going on, we're now going to look at what happened uh, from verse 20 onwards. So Mark uh, chapter 3 and verse 20 reads as follows. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, he's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So, Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. In fact, no one enters a strong man's house. Uh, let me read that bit again. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I wonder if you are familiar um, with much that C.S. Lewis has uh, said or written, uh, and in particular, um, the trilemma that he posed. It's, it's one that a variety of, uh, of Christian apologists uh, will have referred to down through the ages. Perhaps it's most uh, known for him uh, saying it to explain that really Jesus cannot be just a moral teacher. There are, there are kind of three options for considering who, who is Jesus, what accounts for all the things that he did in his uh, ministry that we've seen uh, in these early chapters of, of Mark. Either Jesus is mad or he is a lunatic um, and he is not really making any sense or he is bad. He is a liar whilst he claimed to be doing things that were good um, he was bad he was in league with evil um, and that accounts for the extraordinary works of his ministry um, those are options or, or lastly thirdly is the option that in fact Jesus uh, is God that he is Lord and C.S. Lewis and others have said that we've, we've got those three options but really uh, only these three options given that we can uh, trust uh, the words of the Bible as, um, as, as authoritative and reliable and accurate from a historical point of view. We only have those three options. And uh, which, of it, which option is, is the best one? We see in this passage 
people coming to those same three conclusions about Jesus. That's the opinion that um, different people had. And through this passage, we kind of get a sandwich effect. Um, we, we start with Jesus uh, and the crowd and what's happening to Jesus and his disciples. We then hear a little bit about Jesus' family. And then we hear about Jesus' critics, uh, the teachers of the law who'd come up from Jerusalem. Um, and after Jesus has addressed the criticism that they were pr- particularly bringing, we then hear again about the family and then back to the disciples. So disciples, family, critics, family, disciples. It's kind of a, a sandwich or a ring. And it's a way of saying, it's a way of kind of focusing our attention. There's a lot of uh, interesting and helpful stuff for us to get hold of. Um, but it's kind of focusing our attention in that middle bit. What happens in that middle section where Jesus is responding to the accusations that the teachers of the law have uh, brought. We'll just go through those three different groups. And uh, first off, we'll look at Jesus' family. And uh, they uh, are concerned by what had reached their ears about what was happening. Jesus um, has been teaching large crowds. He's been healing the sick He's been casting out demons. He's now gone and kind of separated himself uh, more clearly from the religious establishment, many of whom are out to kill him. Uh, so he's really not made many friends there. And, uh, and now he's, he's gathered um, the particular disciples to himself, or the, the 12 apostles, and they return. Perhaps they're even returning to a house where much of the action has taken place. This could be um, uh, Simon's house or Peter's house. Um, where we saw the first healing take place in chapter 1 from verse 29 onwards. It could have been the house where Jesus was from time to time based uh, when he visited Capernaum or indeed another house. Anyway, as per normal, a large crowd gathered and his disciples were not even able to eat, uh, we're told. And so the family hear about this, the family are concerned, the family are aware Jesus is not making many friends. Well, he's making quite a lot of friends, but there are a lot of people who are not best pleased with what he's saying. And it's really clear now that he's taken himself out away from kind of traditional Judaism as it was practiced by the religious leaders at the time. He's doing something new, and that is upsetting the apple cart, and that's going to have an impact on our reputation. Um, this is not going to play out well. And so even though Jesus is doing some things that could be described as good, um, uh, we need to intervene. Uh, We need to talk some sense into Jesus. So they go. They go to find uh, Jesus. We hear that in particular in verse 31 a little bit later on. But uh, it says in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They literally go to arrest Jesus, uh, to, to... to take a hold of him and, and kind of take him away from the spotlight, get him out from the public eye and speak some sense into him. Jesus, don't you understand? Um, we, we know that, uh, that you're kind of special and unique, but this really isn't the way to go about things. Uh, and we don't like the, the likely effect this is going to have on the family. Don't you understand? And you're not even... It's like the straw that broke the camel's back was this. Jesus wasn't eating properly. It's a really kind of um, family thing to say. Um, uh, I, it's like mum on the phone to a student, I'm sure. Are you, are you washing your clothes? Yes, mum. Are you making friends? Yes. Um, are you eating properly? No. Oh, well, I'm coming up. 
<laughs> wait for me and I'll take you out for a proper meal. Uh, that was the, the kind of concern. It's like he's not even taking care of himself. Such is the, the popularity, such is the enthusiasm of this crowd that is just taking every opportunity to gather to Jesus. Um, uh, whether that's for a miracle or for the benefit of his teaching, it's, it's not a healthy scenario. And so they go, they're kind of taking an interest in Jesus, but actually they're missing uh, the point, as we'll see a little bit later on. So we see uh, the family, and they think he is mad. Not even eating um, in this particular occasion, or all these people gathering to him and separating himself from the Jewish rulers, this can only indicate that Jesus is mad. He's flipped. He's out of his mind. We need to go and take uh, charge of him. There might be some good things that he's done, but clearly he's a bit unhinged. And um, that can obviously be the conclusion that some might reach in considering uh, Jesus. He's, he's, he's mad. Maybe there are some things that have been misunderstood about him. Uh, he wasn't always clear in the, in the things that he said. Perhaps people might think, therefore, this is my response to Jesus. Um, okay, you can tell me that he, he healed the sick and so on, but basically I think he was mad, uh, is uh, what some people may say. We then meet the critics, the teachers of the law. Uh, they arrive with an altogether more serious and dangerous assessment of who Jesus is and how they explain all that he was uh, doing at the time. So again, his Jesus' popularity has spread. This has reached the ears uh, not only of teachers of the law and Pharisees nearby, but teachers of the law from Jerusalem. So they catch a rumor of what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying, and they make a special journey up to find him. And what's clear is they're not coming to conduct a careful uh, fact-finding mission into what Jesus is really saying, teaching, and doing. They're not inquiring of him. They're not wanting to find out more. Uh, they're not wanting to find out for themselves and really test what he's saying against Scripture and so on. They're coming to start a smear campaign. They're coming to attempt, without paying much more attention, they don't want to hear any more. They don't want to know any more. They've not come with an open mind as such. They're just coming to discredit what Jesus is doing because he is a threat uh, to, to their authority and their way of seeing the scriptures and so on. So they're just coming to, to muddy his name. It doesn't actually matter if what they say is true. Um, they are just trying to uh, discredit. This is a kind of an approach that sometimes is taken. Apparently in the past year, um, the government in China has uh, attempted to conduct a, a smear campaign, really, um, against the American uh, company Apple. Um, and uh, they have tried uh, in a variety of ways to slander their uh, products and their customer service records to really try and rubbish uh, that particular brand. Um, and uh, it's kind of backfired on them um, because they've been, so, they've been perceived to be so eager... Um, people have realized, now, hang on a minute, well, we're going to actually now put the spotlight on the, the Chinese government, many Chinese citizens would be saying, and, uh, and put the light there. What about your customer service record? What about what you're doing? Um, it kind of backfired on them. But for these guys here, 
uh, the teachers of the law, it doesn't really matter for them if it's true or not. They've already made up their mind that Jesus is no good, that Jesus is not mad as much as bad. Um, he is evil. He's a liar. Uh, he's a threat. He's a danger. And therefore, we will say whatever it takes uh, to discredit him. And that's what they do. They accuse him of being in league with Satan. So we see that in verse 22. He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. Beelzebub is a bit of a strange name. What's going on here? Well, often what would happen at the time is uh, they would use, uh, Jews would use uh, the names of another nation's God and twist it as a way of actually just referring to Satan. Um, so this might roughly translate as Lord of the Flies or Lord of Filth as a way of describing the so-called gods that other nations uh, worship. And they're saying, well, that's really, that's just, uh, that's another way of, of describing Satan. Jesus is under no illusions of what they're saying. They are saying that he is only working and uh, healing the sick and casting out demons uh, and performing miracles by the power of Satan. Sometime, somehow he has Beelzebub. He has, as we find later on in verse 30, an evil spirit. It's by the prince of demons that he's driving out demons. And the enemy doesn't have to be logical in the things that he says. That's what's kind of happening here. There's a kind of logic. You might say, well, they might have said, well, um, there is a kingdom of darkness. There are evil spirits uh, in that kingdom. Uh, Satan is the, the ultimate evil spirit. Um, so there's a kind of chain of command, if you like. And therefore, surely, any other lower, lesser evil spirit will have to respond and obey uh, Satan. So if Satan were to say, um, uh, come out uh, to an evil spirit, that evil spirit would have to respond. So there is a kind of twisted, dark logic uh, to what the, um, the teachers of the law were saying. But Jesus meets it head on and says, this, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, there's no logic here whatsoever. How can Satan drive out Satan? And then he uses a variety of, of parables to make the point. If a kingdom, if any kingdom on this earth is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Um, the reason why the Khmer Rouge uh, lost the power that they gained in Cambodia in the mid to late 70s, an absolutely horrific example of tyranny on this earth, the reason is that essentially they were just attacking their own people. Um, so weakening the nation that at some point then they were liable to invasion themselves. Uh, and that's kind of what happened. That's why Khmer Rouge are no longer in power in Cambodia. Uh, and ever since they've been on this kind of slow march um, to a better, a, a better hope and a better land. Um, so if, if any kingdom is divided against itself, ultimately it's not going to stand. If Satan is casting out evil spirits that are following his command and trying to do his work, his kingdom is shot. It's doomed. It's, it's already... Uh, come to an end. Um, and so he kind of runs it through, says it just doesn't make sense. Why would, why would Satan want to do that? And so by implication he's saying, that can't be the explanation for what I'm doing. What I'm doing demonstrates something far better, far greater. It says in verse 27, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house 
and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the, the strong man. In other words, here's the explanation. Satan is strong. He's able to hold people and influence them, keep them locked up in darkness. Um, he's able to uh, master and bring sin and bring uh, kind of rebellion and a hardness of heart. There's, there's no way uh, to get free of his grip um, unless somebody stronger comes along. And so Jesus is saying, what I'm doing demonstrates that it's not the kingdom of light that is under attack. It's the kingdom of darkness that is under attack. I've come to bring life. I've come to rescue. I've come to set people free. That's what I'm doing. That shows that, yes, indeed, the kingdom of darkness, its days are numbered because I've come. And I'm not, I'm not here by the, by the power of an evil spirit casting out evil spirits. I'm here. All that I'm doing is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's one stronger. That's what explains all that Jesus is doing. Mark's Gospel doesn't mention the Holy Spirit in every paragraph, in every chapter. But what we see right at the outset is what happens at Jesus' baptism. In chapter 1, verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You're my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At that point, Jesus is anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and everything that happens after that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this uh, all the way through. He's been calling disciples. He's been teaching in the synagogue. He's been teaching elsewhere. He's been uh, setting people free uh, from evil spirits when they've been provoked and they cry out. Uh, Jesus just uh, sternly rebukes them, and uh, they release the, the person that they've been uh, affecting or influencing. We've seen uh, Jesus uh, healing many who had various diseases in chapter 1, verse uh, 34, when the whole town of Capernaum gathered at the door because they'd heard of what had happened in the synagogue and they'd heard perhaps what had happened uh, with Simon's mother-in-law being healed of a fever. Jesus goes and prays. He prays in the power of the Spirit. He heals a man with leprosy in the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit, he's teaching um, again in, the, uh, in a house and a man is lowered through the roof because there's no way through the door, because so many people have ga gathered. And it's because Jesus is anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit that he's able to say, your sins are forgiven, and oh, by the way, be healed. And then he calls and he changes Levi's life. He gives him a new identity. He gives him a brand new start. He totally blesses that man who's been outcast from his own society because of his poor, sinful decisions in the past. But Jesus comes along and gives him a fresh new start. It's all because Jesus is operating uh, in the power of the Spirit, and we see him uh, healing again as a man stretches out his hand um, in the synagogue on another occasion, and crowds are following, they're healing him, he's appointing others uh, to be with him and take part with what he's doing, he's even going to commission them with the same authority to preach and to drive out demons, all of this is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in him. And Jesus is bringing attention now to the Holy Spirit because these teachers have been observing all that's been happening and are saying, 
They're seeing the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work, and they're saying, no, that's the work of an evil spirit. And so Jesus sees right to the heart of the matter. You don't know what you're saying. Well, perhaps you don't know what you're saying. This is, this is a very, very dangerous conclusion. They've, they've been consistently, deliberately slandering the work of the Holy Spirit and saying this is the work of Satan. And he's saying, I'll tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. What a wonderful promise, by the way. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus is not saying these guys have yet committed that sin. But he's sounding a warning, saying, if you, if you persist, if you persist in this line of argument, you're, you're taking yourself away from the hope of ever being able to repent and turn to God. Because all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It was, um, we can see that. Uh, that's how Peter understands what was happening as well when he preaches later in the book of Acts. Uh, one of the twelve that was appointed, designated to be with him. In Acts chapter 10, uh, let's read from verse 36. Peter speaking there. He says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through Judea, beginning in Gal- Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. There is the, uh, the, the apostles' testimony. This is what explains what was going on. And it's because Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Like I say, in the book of Acts, we don't, uh, sorry, in the book of Mark, Jesus doesn't say a huge amount about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the reason for that is rather like um, the reason for having a, a building that has floodlights um, outside. I could tell you now that there are a few dotted around this building. Uh, there are a few floodlights outside. You'd be forgiven for missing them uh, because in themselves, they're not that conspicuous. Uh, but if for a carol service or an evening in, uh, a meeting in the evening, we want to kind of highlight the building, we can flick a switch as long as the bulbs still work and that kind of thing. Um, flicker switch which turns those floodlights on and you still won't particularly see the floodlights themselves you'll see what they are illuminating and they're illuminating the building and so in the dark of night you can see more clearly the details of this building on the outside because the floodlights are on it's like that's the the ministry of the holy spirit turning to not draw attention to his own work but he's drawing attention to jesus uh, he wants people to be drawn to Jesus. He wants people to um, encounter the freedom and rescue that only he can bring. And so the Spirit is drawing attention to Jesus, saying, look at him, listen to him, pay attention to what he is doing. He has good news to share with you about a God who wants your life to be completely transformed. So Jesus uh, is going about doing all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the by the, the Spirit of God is, is, is saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. That's the consistent um, ministry of the Spirit. Jesus is now turning around just saying, no, just be aware. This isn't the work of the evil one. This is the work of the Spirit of God. And we could read through this passage 
And we could think, my goodness, it mentions Beelzebub. What does that mean? Is it, is it Lord of the Flies? Is it Lord of Filth? Why is Satan referred to in that way? The Prince of Demons. Goodness me. And, uh, and the Kingdom of Darkness um, coming upon us. And, well, yeah, Satan is quite a strong man. And sometimes, I'll tell you what can happen for myself, and I wonder if you can identify with it too, is we can look at situations in life, we can look at situations around the world, and we can think, oh, the prince of demons is at work. There is a kingdom of darkness. Its end is doomed. It will come to an end, but it's still the strong one is still at work. My goodness, the strong one is still at work. So preparing, uh, reading through this passage... And preparing to speak today, through the back end of this week, at the same time, I was just keeping the update online of what on earth is happening in Paris. What on earth is going on with uh, the attacks that have taken place and uh, uh, people that are then on the run and um, the kind of security forces in, in France trying to track them down. And what is happening in the world? This is dark. And we can look at situations maybe that are of a, of a smaller, more personal scale, and we can think, oh, goodness me, oh, the strong man's at work, and he's got his grip on certain things, or maybe he's got his grip on certain people, or maybe he's got his grip on me. Goodness. Ah! And it brings worry, brings fear. It can bring intimidation. And like I say, we can read through that passage and be more struck with, oh, what is the strong man doing? And... Uh, what is Beelzebub about? And um, goodness me, there's this eternal sin that's mentioned as well. How do I know that I haven't committed that? Um, this unforgivable sin. Um, well, it's, it's great. There's a promise there. Uh, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But what about this other one that gets mentioned? Uh, how do I know that I haven't committed that? Um, and the short answer is, let's have a chat later over coffee. If you're worried about that, then you haven't committed it. Um, these guys, this is just an aside for a moment, these guys haven't just, these teachers of the law, haven't just stumbled upon offending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that really oversensitive type. Um, you can kind of you know, say something inadvertent, and oh, how could you possibly say that about me? I'm oh, sorry, I didn't realize. Um, you know, inadvertent blasphemy. Oh no, that's it, forever, I'm doomed. Um, just a, a, a slip of the tongue there for a moment. Um, these guys, it wasn't just the sin of doubting, oh, I'm not quite sure, of being kind of uncertain. Is that the Holy Spirit at work, or is that a different spirit at work? How that person's responding to being prayed for? I'm not kind of sure. Um, it's not the sin of asking a question. It's not the sin of having a doubt. Um, it's not the sin of just an accidental whoopsie of the tongue. Um, these guys were consistently opposed to the work of God. And they're consistently slandering the work of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, if they continue that consistently, they will put themselves beyond the ministry of the Spirit who comes to us to enable us to repent in the first place. Um, so the sign of this sin having taken place is that someone is, just does not even want to consider the need to repent. Uh, and that's obviously an incredibly dangerous place, and place to arrive at. But the, the scene can be set. We can look at all of this stuff and just think, oh, goodness. We can focus on the strong man. We can focus on Beelzebub. We can focus on the kingdom of darkness. And we can become intimidated. We can, 
we can hear stuff that's going on in the world. And we can, like I say, we can be intimidated. We can be more aware or more concerned by what can the strong man possibly do than we are in faith for what the Holy Spirit can do. Satan described there as a strong man. But Jesus is saying, um, look, one stronger has arrived. The whole, what explains what's happening now is the kingdom of darkness is indeed under attack by one who is stronger, and that is the Spirit of God. So I think sometimes we can get intimidated into small prayers and weak expectations. Now, this may not have been happening recently amongst us. I'm not going to project onto you what I sometimes actually could reflect about myself. But I could be thinking, actually, maybe some of this stuff has just got in. One way or another, I'm not quite sure why. But have I been intimidated into small prayers, low expectations, kingdom of darkness is at work, and let's just gather together in a a little huddle, and let's try and just remind ourselves, I think God is around here somewhere. Um, And and it kind of all inverts, Um, and we can have kind of low-key prayer meetings. Now, I think our prayer meetings are are, are wonderful, and even this week, just a whole variety of, of encouraging prayers as we gather together. And the successful prayer meeting is not all about making maximum volume and, uh, and, and kind of appearing to be a bit unhinged, but sometimes I just wonder about myself, and then I kind of wonder, have I, has this been kind of seeping out of me somehow? I kind of wonder my, about myself, am I somehow just allowing myself to be intimidated Because I'm more aware of dark, the evidence of darkness than I am the power of the Holy Spirit. There is abundant evidence of the persistent, loving power of the Holy Spirit. The church around the whole world would not exist if it weren't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. None of us would ever have sought God and repented of our sin and turned to him in faith if it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit. There would never be a moment where any of us was aware of the presence of God if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. There'd be no way to navigate our way through doubts and uncertainties if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to us. So we haven't received a spirit that's, that makes us a slave again to fear. Romans 8 tells us we've received a spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So if we experience any intimacy with God, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work um, amongst us. It's because of the Holy Spirit that we are enabled and helped and strengthened to pray when we don't quite know what to pray, but God strengthens us and enables us uh, to do so. That our prayers are answered are examples of the Holy Spirit at work. That's why that you can have um, experienced nightmares, uh, a, literally a dark night, but no, actually the Spirit of God is available. When I, if I speak to God right now, because He's here with me by the Spirit, I can expect that God hears this prayer. God is a loving Heavenly Father, and He loves to give good, res- uh, good things in response to me, simply asking. Sometimes 
we can just think, I'm alone. I'm in darkness. I've, I've got these dreams. And, uh, well, let's pray in faith. I love the way that um, Luke records uh, this same encounter, this same teaching that Jesus gives uh, in Luke uh, 11. And he says there in verse 19, Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? Raising another point. So then, uh, they'll be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What a wonderful way of explaining how awesomely above and powerful is the God who's present with us now by his Holy Spirit. If, 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 I, if I drive out demons by the, the finger of God, all it takes. God is so much greater than us, so much greater than nightmares, so much greater than any example on this earth of the powers of darkness. By the Spirit, He is available to help us to pray, to worship, to witness, so that when I attempt with limited words um, and a stuttering voice to try and put the spotlight onto Jesus in a conversation um, with a friend or a colleague well, for me personally, speaking to a colleague about Jesus isn't too hard. Um, but for you, perhaps, or a classmate, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm kind of on my own. This sounds so weak. The Holy Spirit, I believe, uh, and the Scripture would uh, explain to us, Holy Spirit rushes in and says, your weak words, now I'm coming in, I'm owning that. Uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to bring impact into this that kind of goes beyond the things that you've just uh, said and sown uh, into that situation because what does the Spirit love to do? The Spirit loves to put the floodlights onto Jesus. So if we get kind of some small little torch and say the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit says, yes, I'm going to turn this up. Uh, let's, uh, I want people to see uh, who he is and what he is doing. The Holy Spirit, the Lord God himself is our helper. Again, I, I love how it's described uh, put in the book of uh, Hebrews, where it says there, um, in Hebrews 13, verse 6, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? We forget. If we forget the Holy Spirit, we forget that God is our present, real, powerful source of help in whatever moment we are experiencing right now. If that is bad dreams uh, in the night, if that is just feeling, well, yeah, on a Sunday, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, I, I can feel quite strong in my faith um, because I'm amongst friends who share the same faith. When I go to school, I know for a fact, you might think, um, I know for a fact I'm the only Christian there. I'm the only Christian or I'm the only person who's prepared to say they are, I'm the only Christian in my class. Or I'm the only Christian in my office. Or the whole company. Or I'm the only Christian in my whole year group. And I can just feel so alone. So by myself. There can be occasions where we feel so alone. And again, it doesn't have to be logical. We have, there's an enemy who wants us to feel alone. And he doesn't always have to use logic. I think in some respects... I could identify with that in this past year or so because I could very clearly say, look at what God has done 
um, in from this church sending people to other nations. Uh, for example, Mark and Debbie. Um, and I could say, God's powerfully at work. And I know that God will do more of the same amongst us. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit is, is wanting to do. We'll just see how things unfold in the course of time. But I would say it, it's bound to be the case um, that at different times in different ways, the Holy Spirit will make clear amongst us as a church, set apart for me so-and-so and so-and-so, because I'm going to send them to a t- completely new situation, a new city, um, a new, another church, and they're going to be a blessing there. And I can say, yes, amen, praise God. But do you know what? Sometimes I feel alone. Well, it doesn't really make sense um, because we've appointed Richard and he's another elder and there's a fantastic team of staff in the church and just so many excellent, well, all of you, friends and, and people even today coming up and just saying, oh, just to encourage you about this, just encourage you about that. I'm on the receiving end of so much encouragement, it's untrue. I've got a wonderful family, um, both here in Sheffield and elsewhere in the nation, and I love being a part of this church when we gather together and pray and just experience the Spirit of God together. But I know there are times just think, oh, I feel alone. Um, and, and I suppose there's partly that's just what it means to be human and to be a Christian. We can be open to kind of the vulnerability. Uh, it doesn't have to be logical. In fact, it isn't logical at all, um, for me anyway. I'm rarely alone. Um, and in the, in the sense that we can sometimes feel, actually, I'm never alone. But sometimes exposure to darkness in other ways can leave us just thinking, oh, I'm alone. And then we forget the availability of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel alone in your class at school, the, in some respects, as a Christian, the truth is that you might be. But the greatest source of encouragement is, no, you're not alone because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so right now, God is present amongst us by his Holy Spirit. When you're alone at night, God is with you. God is available. You can call on him. You can expect him to answer prayers. As we saw there in the book of Hebrews, he is our helper. God is our helper. He's ever-present. He's close at hand. And by the Holy Spirit, for all those who've received Christ, he's actually dwelling inside of us as well. And so Jesus, um, we see in John's Gospel, was spending time with his disciples just before he'd be taken from them and crucified. And through uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we see time and time again, Jesus say, don't be troubled. Why? Why not be troubled? There are troubling circumstances in life. There are troubling things about to kick off uh, for those disciples when Jesus is arrested and tried and accused and hung on a tree, hung on a cross and executed. Of course there were going to be troubles. Jesus saying, no, don't be troubled. Why is that? This, he says, he explains in, in John uh, 14 um, and reading from verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot uh, accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the simple truth is we are not alone. We have not been left as orphans. Um, When God by his Holy Spirit says, 
okay, set apart for me some more people. City Church is going to get used to sending people to the nations. Know that you're not alone. This is good news. Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work among you, and He's maybe just creating a bit of space for a whole load of people to come and get saved. Who knows what's going to happen? But let's not be intimidated into low expectations, a fear of darkness, a kind of a, a, a worry about, well, we can see what Satan's doing, but where's the Holy Spirit when you need him? No, he's available. He's with us. We want to put the, the floodlights onto Jesus. Um, so in a sense, we're not always talking about the Holy Spirit, but we always want to be honoring him and giving him glory by seeking to put the focus on Jesus and by trusting for the Spirit's help and uh, empowering presence in all that we, uh, in all that we do, in, in every step that we take, in the tentative words we might say to somebody um, about Jesus or offering to pray for somebody in the name of Jesus, uh, believing uh, that the Spirit of God will be our helper. All of that comes from having looked at the fact that the teachers of the law thought that Jesus was bad. Let's not allow Beelzebub and the strong man uh, to set the agenda. Jesus has come in the power of the Spirit, and we are in the benefit of the presence of the same Holy Spirit who is work amongst us today. So we've seen the family. The family thought Jesus was mad. We've seen Jesus' critics, and they thought that Jesus was bad. Uh, lastly, and just for a few moments, we'll look at the disciples. Um, we see again how the family turn up in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We see Jesus' disciples. What are the disciples doing? And again, this is not just the 12. It's clear that men and women are present. Why else would Jesus refer to my brother and sister and mother? Uh, he's making a point. There are these uh, men and women gathered around him. What are they doing? They're sitting. The, the critics, they're far away, hurling their accusations. The family are standing just outside, uh, clicking their fingers, expecting Jesus to run outside to come and do their bidding, the disciples are sitting. They're sitting at Jesus' feet. This passage is not all there is to say about how Jesus related to his family. Um, we don't glean a huge amount about how we should speak to our family uh, from this passage. The point that is coming across here is that Jesus' family would need to learn that they need themselves to become disciples. It's not enough to be related to Jesus, kind of, well, by blood, by virtue of having the same earthly mother. Uh, they would have to realize they don't have automatic rights over Jesus. They need to come in the same way, and that is sitting at Jesus' feet. Sometimes we can respond or we can interact with Jesus, perhaps in the way that the family did. Um, because... Uh, we, we kind of take an interest in Jesus, but perhaps we're still uh, missing the point. Um, we can be, as it were, in our prayers, standing outside 
expecting him to jump to our command. Um, and sometimes our approach can be in that way, almost like coming to a genie in the bottle. Not that they exist. Um, but kind of, if I rub the lamp, if I rub the bottle three times, the genie pops out and will give me three wishes and do exactly what I want. And so I'm kind of standing outside petitioning, Jesus, um, I've clicked my fingers, I've rubbed the lamp, why are you not doing what I've said? And she's saying, well, just remember what it means to be a disciple. Be a disciple means, actually, I'm sitting down at your feet. It's not that you have to sit down at mine. Um, spending time with you. The irony here, in a sense, is, well, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Everybody in this passage thinks they're doing God's will. The family think they're doing God's will. We need to talk some sense into him. The leaders think they're doing God's will. We need to stop him. The disciples have learnt what it is to do God's will. And they're actually sitting at Jesus' feet. And they have obeyed the one command, as it were, that Jesus has given in the, in the gospel so far. In chapter 1, verse 14, we're coming into land. Um, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what they'd done. They'd listened to Jesus and they'd repented. Like I say, if you are worried about having committed the eternal sin, come and have a chat with me. Um, I'd love to talk to you more about it to put you at ease. However, at the same time, there still is a warning in this passage. Let's honour the Spirit of God. Let's take every opportunity to think, actually, by the help and the availability of your Holy Spirit, right now, I can overcome sin and temptation because he is my helper. And I'm going to stand firm with him. Lord Jesus, help me resist sin. Help me cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Help me demonstrate self-control right now when it's really, really difficult and I want to throw something around the room. Help me to be patient. Help me to be tender. Help me to be gentle. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be um, kind and good. Help me, uh, Lord God, to worship you right now. As I give you my attention, Father, fill me with your spirit to help me afresh to fix my eyes on Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm going to trust your help right now. Help me by the Holy Spirit to witness to my friends when my words are stumbling and I feel incredibly awkward and sweaty palmed and no one else is around to back me up here because I'm kind of in that sense by myself. I'm not by myself. The Holy Spirit is here. We want to honor the Holy Spirit. Let's also honor the Holy Spirit by taking the first opportunity to repent rather than thinking, no, I can hang around. I can wait uh, until the last opportunity to repent. Um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I can wait till tomorrow. There is a hint of a warning here that actually, for some, who so harden their hearts to God, who so resist and oppose the work of the Spirit, whether they realize it or not, they put themselves beyond repentance. And so again, in the book of Hebrews, it says, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Soften your heart. Keep your heart soft to the Spirit of God. Because it is by the Spirit of God we ever repented in the first place. It's by the Spirit of God that his mercy came into our lives. We saw Jesus and we reached out to him. We turned away from our foolish rebellion and we said, Oh God, forgive me and have my life. I want to live for you. Let us keep that softness of heart to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. 
um, as he's present amongst us. Expecting, therefore, at the same time, we'll see a, a whole variety of other evidence to his power amongst us as we seek to honour him uh, in every area. What's God's will for my life? It's simple. Sit at Jesus' feet. Repent as often as we need to. Seek his glory. Trust that he will help us as we pray and seek to him. He's not kind of standing afar off. He's ready uh, to, to answer any request that is going to glorify the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's worship God. Let's honor the Spirit.